Uh, last week uh, during my sermon, I made a mistake, and so I, I need to bring some clarity to that. Uh, remember how I was talking about uh, when you love, you give, and I talked about how guys, when you love the girl, you give her the ring, and I, I told you this story about how Aileen and I got engaged, and uh, so Aileen wasn't well last week, and, and so uh, she, she wasn't here in the service. She was at home, so I got home, and she asked me, so how was the morning? I said, oh, we had a great Sunday, and I loved it. I said, in fact, during the message, I told the uh, the story of how we got engaged and she said i know <laughs> and i'm like oh she goes yeah i watched the live stream so so we have a live stream so if you're ever sick at home uh you can tune in about you know 20 to 11 on a sunday morning and, and you can catch the service uh, over the internet just go on our church app or on our website and we can get you hooked up that way so she was watching on the, on the live stream and she said yeah i i heard you tell the story and you told it wrong She said, I did not say, are you serious? You remember, said, will you marry me? And she said, are you serious? She said, I did not say, are you serious? She said, what I said was, is this for real? Uh, she said, it means the same thing. But just, just so you know, I did not say, are you serious? I said, is this for real? So um, now, I, you know, I just wanted to bring some clarity so yeah, that you would know the, the, the romance story of our lives. But anyway, so uh, this morning we're finishing up our series called Gone Fishing. And, and next week we're starting a new series that, that we're, we're calling Blah, Blah, Blah. And you're probably saying, what in the world is blah, blah, blah? Well, come next week and find out. Bring a friend. <laughs> uh, actually, we're going to talk about words and how the words you speak shape the life you live. So that's going to kick off next week. But uh, this past few weeks, we've been talking about fishing. And it's a series that we called Gone Fishing. And, and last week, the lesson was about uh, how when you go fishing, you should make sure you have a plan for when you actually catch a fish. You need to make sure you're prepared. And, and we looked at what Jesus said in John 3.16 uh, about how we can use what he said there to just uh, give us everything we need to know to, to lead somebody uh, to Jesus, to become a, a follower of Jesus. And, and in fact, we can review a little bit. There were just two things that people need to know and two things that people need to do. And, and the first one is that God loved, God loved the world, and God gave his son. And if we believe we receive life that's right so let's say it one more time god loved god gave we believe we receive so that's that's what we need to know uh, to become a follower of jesus and i don't know if i did a great job giving the talk but uh, to me it's just so important that you and i know what to do when somebody says to us hey you know how do i become a follower of jesus in fact, to me, this whole series has been so important because it's so easy for us as followers of Jesus to forget the one thing that he says he's going to make us into, fishers of men, to, to, to forget the, the most important thing that Jesus has asked us to do. And I've just felt so compelled in my own heart to, to refocus my life and again to just as a church uh, that we would keep the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? That we're fishers of men, that, that, that to follow is to fish. 
In fact, the only reason we're here this morning talking about this stuff is because the first followers of Jesus told somebody. And they believed in Jesus. And they told somebody. And they told somebody. And so on and so on. Until uh, we're here today. And, you know, it's just a good thing for us that... 2,000 years ago, uh, they didn't think that religion and spirituality was something that's private and you shouldn't talk about. Uh, You know, in our culture, uh, that's kind of the understanding we have. I mean, there's a lot of things in our culture that we will talk about. And sometimes I'm, I'm very surprised about what people will talk very openly about. But there's some things we know we shouldn't talk about. Uh, One of those things is politics. Aren't you glad that, that, that our election is, is over, <laughs> finally over, and, and there's something else on the news besides Canadian politics? I mean, now we can watch interesting stuff like British politics or American politics. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the Canadian thing is over. But, uh, you know, when the election was on, I, I did something um, that was fun. I intentionally started some very awkward conversations about politics. <laughs> it was it was great. But, you know, there's just some things in our culture we don't talk about. We don't talk about politics. Uh, we don't talk about money. And we don't talk about religious beliefs. But what, what we need to understand is that Jesus has actually called us to talk about who he is and what he's done. And the reason that's so important is because, as we've been saying in this series, Christianity is not based on an idea. Christianity is based on an event. Christianity is its not a philosophy. It's not a morality. It's not an ethical system. It's not an idea. It's actually based on an event. It's based on a true story of what happened to Jesus and why what happened to him matters. And the only way that somebody's going to know what God has done for us through Jesus is if somebody tells them what happened. Because it's an event. It's news. Uh, Any baseball fans here? Any baseball fans? Anybody watch the World Series this week? Uh, wasn't that a, a crazy World Series? I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? It, it was, you know, how they say truth is stranger than fiction. Well, this is this is one of those stories because uh, the two teams involved in the World Series, if you don't know, were the were the Washington Nationals, and they used to be way back in the day the Montreal Expos. So I was kind of cheering for them because the Expos back in the day were were my team. But so the Washington Nationals and it was the Houston Astros. And what was so peculiar about this World Series is that Washington started playing in Houston against the Astros, and Washington won the first two games in Houston. And then the series went to Washington, and the Houston Astros won the next three games in in Washington. And so then the series went back to Houston, and Houston only had to win one game to win the, the World Series, and they were playing at home. They had home field advantage. But what happened? The Washington Nationals won the last two games in Houston to win the World Series. And it's the first time in the World Series history where every game was won by the away team. So much for a home field advantage, right? And it's just just an, an amazing thing. And it, it happened. It's now baseball history. And I saw it, and I'm telling you about it. Right? Well, you know, it's the same way for the followers of Jesus. 
they saw something so incredible, they just couldn't keep quiet about it. You know, they saw all that Jesus did and, and, and heard everything that Jesus said. And then they saw him crucified. And then they saw him rise again. And they understood that once that happened, that, that everything that Jesus said about himself was actually true. And that his death and his resurrection actually had profound meaning, not only for himself or for themselves, but, but actually had profound meaning for everyone. That in Jesus, there is life and there is salvation that is found only in him. And that they were called to be witnesses. They were called to give testimony, not only of what happened to Jesus, but the difference that Jesus had then made in their lives because of the life that they had received. And friends, it's the same for us. We are called to give witness, to give testimony, not only to who Jesus is, but to the difference he's made inside of us because of the life that we have received. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament. And it's a story, uh, surprisingly, that's got nothing to do with fishing. I was actually interested. I was kind of looking through the Old Testament. There's very few fish stories in the Old Testament. Uh, except for the big one, of course, the Jonah and the whale story. That, that's kind of a big fish story, but there really aren't other fish stories in the Old Testament. But uh, we're going to look at a story this morning that's actually, I think, one of the best Bible stories that no one's ever heard. Okay? And so it's a story in which four people find themselves in a situation that really parallels us, parallels, parallels our story. And I think as we look at this story, it's probably not going to be too hard for us to connect the dots. But I think it's going to put an exclamation point on this whole thing about how important it is for us as followers of Jesus uh, to be fishers of people. So the story is found in, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 7. And 2 Kings is one of those books that's kind of halfway through the Old Testament, kind of buried in there. So so if you got your Bibles, you can look at 2 Kings, chapter 7. Or if you got your phone, pull it out. And let's, let's look at that together. And this is a story about four guys uh, that had leprosy. These four guys were lepers. And they were friends and they hung around together. In fact, uh, at one time, they were actually part of a, a rock band that had a hit song. And the hit song was Footloose. Okay, okay. I just, just wanted to check if, if, if you're awake this morning. I, I promise I'll, I'll try not to, 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 to tell uh, any, any more jokes except this one. Do you know why the, why the, why the lepers had to quit playing hockey? Because there was a face-off in the corner. Anyway, okay, I know, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Okay. Uh, but, but leprosy back in, yeah, boo. Back in the day, leprosy really um, was a word that described a number of different kinds of contagious skin diseases. So this is a story about four guys that, that had some kind of contagious skin disease. And uh, to understand their story, we really need to understand the backstory. So, so this takes place about 850 B.C. Uh, in the city of Samaria. And the city of Samaria was the capital of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. So if you know a little bit about Old Testament uh, history, you know that after King David and King Solomon, uh, the kingdom of Israel got split into two sections. There was the northern kingdom and there was the southern, right? If you have a northern kingdom, you probably have a 
Southern Kingdom. Okay, good. Uh, so the Northern Kingdom, the capital was Samaria, and the Southern Kingdom, the capital was Jerusalem. And so the Northern Kingdom was led by a series of kings that wanted nothing to do with God. In fact, all of these guys were basically really wicked. Some of them were incredibly evil men. And so they rebelled against the Lord and they rebelled against everything that, that, that God had called them to be as a people. And they started following pagan religions and worshiping pagan gods. And, and part of it was just politically expedient because the northern kings didn't want their people going back to Jerusalem to worship because what was in Jerusalem? The temple, the temple of God. And so they didn't want their people going back to Jerusalem. So instead of saying, hey, let's go worship there, let's stay home and worship all these pagan gods. And so that's what they did. And so they had these wicked kings, and one of them's uh, name was Jehoram, and, and he's the king in our story. And because they turned their back on God and his ways, and because they were such a small nation, they were vulnerable politically, and they were vulnerable militarily. And so one summer... Uh, their arch enemy, the arch enemy of, of the northern kingdom of Israel, the Arameans, showed up at Samaria with a whole army. They came and they, they were going to attack Samaria, but instead of doing an outright attack on the city, they laid siege to the city. Because, of course, attacking a city was difficult because the city had walls. And basically what would happen when the army would, would come against them, all the people in the city and all the people that lived around the city, they would all come into the city and they would close the gates of the city. And then they would all climb up on the walls and go, na 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 you can't get us because we're safe inside the city with the walls, right? And there wasn't much that they could do. Except... When they laid siege to the city, it meant that nobody in the city could go out and nothing from outside the city could come in. And so eventually what's going to happen in the city? They're going to run out of, they're going to run out of food. They're going to run out of supplies. And so that's exactly what happened. In fact, eventually things got so bad in the city that not only had all the food been eaten, but they had started to eat and had eaten anything that moved. And then they started eating stuff that, you know, unless you're in that situation, you would never consider eating. In fact, you go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25, it says this, As a result, there was a great famine in the city, talking about the siege. And the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of Dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Uh, now, now just, just to give you some context here, uh, in my Bible dictionary, it says that a typical worker back then was paid about one piece of silver a month. So can you imagine spending 80 pieces of silver for a donkey? I mean, what are you going to do with a donkey? You said, you're going to eat like donkey brains or make donkey head soup I like like I don't but then what are you gonna do with a cup of dove poo I, I mean we're not talking the dove here we're talking dove poo right five shekels of silver five pieces of silver I mean you really should read the Bible 
It's, it's got some, some amazing stories. And, and this is one of those stories. In fact, in this story, things got so desperate that some of the people resorted to some horrible things that I don't even want to talk about. But you can go home, read Second Kings for yourself, chapter 6. It's, it's amazing. So, so basically, there's this horrible famine in Samaria. And King Joram, he's mad at God, and he's mad at the prophet Elijah, who's one of the key players in the story, and you can read all about it. There's all this intrigue and all this drama inside the city. But while all of this is going on in the city, there were these four guys that were living just outside the city, outside the city wall. Because when the countryside evacuated into the city, they would not let these four guys in because they were lepers. They had this contagious skin disease. And back then, they didn't have hospitals. They didn't have clinics. Basically, the way they would deal with people like that is that they would just force them out into the countryside. they say, get out of town. Don't hang around us because you're contagious. Go away. And nobody was looking after these guys. Nobody was helping them. And so they couldn't get any of the food that was in the city. And they couldn't get any of the food that the surrounding countryside would have because there's the enemy army sitting right there and so eventually things get really desperate and these four guys they sit down and they have a conversation and they get talking about their options and they realize that they only have three choices and frankly none of these were good choices and so it says there were four men with leprosy at the end and, and I, you know, I, I'm glad that they understood that if they were killed, they would die. I mean, it's just kind of funny how it says that. But, uh, you know, really, these guys did not have good options. This, this, was, this, was, this was desperate, desperate situation. So they, they talk it over. They think, you know, if we go into the city, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go over to the enemy and surrender, we're probably going to die. But... At least they'll put us out of our misery. But watch what happens. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they enter, or when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. So at the last minute, somehow, someway, God intervened in the situation just like he said he was going to do through the prophet Elijah who was in the city. And we don't know exactly what he did or, or how he did it, but somehow the Arameans heard what sounded like this huge army marching towards them, and they absolutely panicked. They thought that they were going to get surrounded and attacked and destroyed. And so they literally dropped everything they had, and they took off. They left the tents, they left the horses and the, and the donkey. And you know what? What I don't understand is if you're running away for your life and you want to get away from somebody as fast as you can, like jump on a horse. Like, hello? Like, why would you leave the horse? Why would you leave the Probably because they didn't even want to take the time to saddle the thing up or, or to go get it out of the pasture. They just wanted to book it back to Aram. 
And so that's what they did. And not long after that happened, these four leper guys come over the hill with their hands up to surrender. At least what was left of their hands. And no one's there. I mean, they're expecting some sentries, maybe some guards in the outposts, and they think they're going to get arrested, taken prisoner, and probably killed. But they go walking, and there's nobody there. And yet, the fires are still burning. There's still food cooking in the pot. There's, there's wine in the glass on the table. The tents are still there. There's the, the horses and the donkeys and the sheep, and everything is still there. And they come walking in, and the camp is silent and as dead as a ghost. And they're like, hello, anybody home? You know, we're, we're, we're here to surrender. We, we, we've got our, our, our arms up, if they had arms. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're here to surrender. Is anybody home? And nobody was there. And so it says that when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking. Wine, yeah. Well, well no kidding. I mean, if you had been those guys, I mean, they probably hadn't had a, anything to eat for, for days. They probably hadn't had a real meal for months. And so they walk in there and they see all this food just there and they're like, food! And they go running into a tent and they eat stuff and they drink stuff and they're like, that's great. They go to the next tent, there's more food. And so they eat stuff and they drink stuff and they go from tent to tent and they're just having this party. And then they got looking around at all the stuff. I mean, because not only is there food, but the guys had left their wallets. They, they hadn't taken any of their clothes. And there was more stuff than they'd ever seen in their life. And so they carried off the silver and the gold and the clothing. And they hit it. And we need to understand that the clothing was incredibly valuable back in ancient times because, I mean, they didn't have Walmart, right? They, did, they didn't have winners. And, and so they had all this great stuff, stuff like they'd never seen in their life. And, and so they'd find some stuff and, oh, I got to go hide this stuff. So they'd hide that stuff and they'd come back into the camp and they'd find some more stuff. And, oh, it's great stuff. And they'd go out and hide that stuff. And they'd come back and they'd find something more to eat. And they'd drink some more stuff. They'd find some more stuff. And they just did that all night, just having the time of their lives. And finally, after they'd eaten everything they could eat and had drank everything that they could drink and hidden all the silver and all the gold and all those fancy leather jackets and those new blue jeans and those fancy brain names, brand, brand name sneakers and, and everything that they had found, they stopped long enough to have a thought. They got thinking. They got thinking about the people back in the city. The people that, you know, hadn't really treated them very well. The people that hadn't cared or been at all concerned for them. But people that were starving, that were eating donkey head soup and dove poo for breakfast and finally it says that they said to one another this is not 
right. You think? This is not right. We've been eating and drinking all of this food. We have found all of this stuff, but you know what? This is not right. Now, you were probably already thinking that, right? I mean, you've probably been thinking, you know, but what about all the people back in the city? You know, you think about what these four guys have been doing all night and you're thinking they need to go back and they need to tell everybody in the city. You know, you're, you're probably thinking, you know, if this story ends with these four guys out in the camp, eating and drinking and shopping and living happily ever after, well, the city starves. This is not a good story. I mean, it can't end it this way. At some point, they've got to go back and tell everybody what they've found. I know those, the city didn't treat these guys very well. They haven't been very nice to them. But you can't know what they know and not tell anybody about it. Well, that's what these four guys finally got around to thinking. So they said to each other, this is not right because this is a day of... This is a day of... This is a day of good news. And you know, I just find it so interesting that that's the phrase that is used. Because we've been talking about good news, right? And these guys said, this is a day of good news. And we're not sharing with it. We've got to go back. And that's what they did. They went back to the, the city to, to share what they had seen. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You can read the story for yourself. The king did not believe them. In fact, they had to talk the king into sending out some scouts to see if what these uh, four lepers were saying was actually true. And, and of course, it was true, and, and the city was saved. And uh, yeah, and there's a really humorous story about how some guy gets killed. and all, Humorous, anyway. You, know. you got to read the story for yourself. It, it, it is quite the story. But can you see the point of the story? In fact, you know, I think the point of this story at this point is so obvious I can probably quit preaching. Don't worry, I won't. I won't, I'll keep preaching. But uh, you're intelligent people and you probably don't need me to explain this to you. I mean, because we read a story like this and you know, it is so obvious to us what those four leper guys should do, right? They gotta go back to the city they got to go back and, and share the news. I mean, they've got news. They've got good news. Something has happened. And because something has happened, everything has changed. Because something has happened, they can live. The enemy that's holding them hostage is gone. The siege has been broken. There's food just sitting there, literally in the pot, waiting for them to come and eat. And they don't have to have another helping of donkey brains or dove poo. And so we read a story like that, and man, we know exactly what those four leper guys should do. But do you and I understand that we as followers of Jesus are the four leper guys in the story? They're us, we're them. 
That's where we fit in the story. I mean, at one time, all of us were starving, desperate people, not necessarily physically, but spiritually. And some of us started following Jesus because we were desperate. I've talked with you. I know some of your stories. There was stuff going on in your life that needed to be fixed. You knew that your life was heading down the right track or or the wrong track and and that you needed to make some changes. You really needed some help. In fact, for some of you, there was a desperation in your life that said, you know what, if I don't make some changes, if, if I... If I don't change, if I'm going to die. You know, I can't stay where I am because if I stay where I am, the options are not good. I'm going to die. And so there was this desperation. And for some of us, it was an addiction. For some of us, it was, you know, our marriage was crashing. For some of us, we had a health issue. But there was a desperation that drove us to step towards something that, that we didn't really understand or maybe even know too much about or didn't really like the idea of. But we just kind of came to that point where we said, you know, what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? And for others of us, you know, life was great. At least life should have been great. You know, maybe we had a great job, our marriage was going great, we had a great family, we are going on great vacations. But in spite of all that good stuff, it didn't feel great because there was something I don't know, there was just something off on the inside. We were, we were missing something. It felt empty. Uh, there was this, maybe not an overt desperation, but certainly a quiet desperation. And you were just thinking, you know, is this all to life there is? You realize you're dying on the inside. And then somehow, regardless of the situation that you were in, somehow, some way, you found Jesus. Or, or Jesus found you. And everything changed. Somebody told you the good news. You know, maybe somebody invited you to church or maybe they gave you a book or maybe they said, hey, hey, come with me. Let, let's go to Alpha together. And, and it was like you were a starving person walking into this place where there was so much abundance. All of a sudden that that desperate emptiness inside of you began to get filled. And, and maybe you had tried to read the Bible at some point, but, but now you're reading the Bible and it's like the words are just jumping off the pages. And, and you used to think about going to church. You're like, nah, why would I go to church? That's boring, irrelevant. But all of a sudden now it's like, you know, going to church is actually kind of cool. You know, that guy that talks up at front, you know, his jokes are really bad, but you know, I, I'm learning lots. And, and, and you know, you're just kind of embracing the people around you and you're making some new friends and you start listening to new music and there's this radio station, praise one, 106.5, you know, and you start listening to that and there's those worship music and, and songs about God and, and there's just this whole new world that begins to open up and, and for some of you, your life started to change really fast. You know, for others of us, the, the, the changes were slower, but God started doing something on the inside and we experienced peace and we experienced, a, you know, a contentment that we'd never experienced before, a fulfillment. We had hope, hope for the future, And it wasn't long before we had this whole new life. Now we go to church on Sunday and we got small group on Monday and we got these new friends that we're walking with and going for coffee with and going camping with. And yeah, you know what? It's not perfect. We still got struggles and challenges, but it's good. It's it's good. We love Jesus. 
Yeah, we love our church. We love our life. There's, there's good stuff happening. We've got hope. You know, especially for some of us, uh, we were born into this. You know, we're born into a Christian home, had the blessing of being raised in church. We call people like you lifers. Any lifers here? I'm a lifer. And we really didn't know what it was like to be desperate because we've always been in this place of provision and this place of abundance for this spiritual reality, you know, this, this, this hole in our soul. There's, there's, it's been filled by Jesus and, and this is just life as we know it and this is what we're used to. And, and you know, we like it. And again, it's not perfect. There's struggles and there's challenges, but man, it's good. We've got our friends and we've got our family and we've got our life and we've got our routines. We love Jesus. We love the church and oh, it's good. But if we're not careful, like the four lepers discovered, the tendency will always, friends, the tendency will always be, always be for our lives and our attention and our priorities to get so focused on this awesome life that we're we've discovered in this awesome life that we're experiencing that we forget that we have a responsibility to go back to tell those that are still left in the city. And in fact, the longer you are a Christian, the more prone you are to allow this to happen. And we need to realize what those lepers discovered. We, we need to understand that with great news, comes great responsibility. <laughs> we got news. We've got good news, great news. Something has happened that has changed everything. But here's the question. What are we going to do with the good news? Because with great news comes great responsibility. Will we go back to the city? You know, will we go back to, to some of those same places? And will we go back to some of those same people? And will we leave the, the comfort and, and the security and, and step away from, from the stuff that we love, our, our preferences and what we would prefer? And would we take the time to go back to those that haven't heard the news. In fact, for some of us, you know, if we're honest, we don't really want to go back. Because frankly, we don't like what we see or what we experience when we're there. I mean, some of those people aren't very nice, right? I mean, they haven't been very nice to us. They booted us to the wall. <laughs> you know, we don't want to go back because it's dangerous, you know, it's dangerous out there. Do you know what happens out there? It can be a scary place. Do you know the terrible stuff that goes on in our city? Besides, why should we go back? They're not going to believe us anyway. I mean, that's what happened in this story. The king didn't believe. Why should we go back? They're not going to believe us. Or why should we go back? Because some of us are scared that if we go back into that environment, we're going to lose what we found. 
And I understand that some of us need a change of environment. We, we, we shouldn't. In fact, we, we can't stay living associated with the friends that we used to hang out with, some places that we used to go, and, and all the things that we used to do. You know, I, I get that, but it's so easy for us to build a life and try to insulate ourselves from anything that could be uncomfortable or difficult or awkward or dangerous. And it's not that we've forgotten. It's, it's, it's not that we you know, don't understand that, yeah, we probably should go back. But, but frankly, you know what? I, there's a hassle involved with that. And sometimes we're actually afraid. We're afraid of what others are going to think because we shouldn't really talk about this stuff. You know, our culture says that. We're afraid whether people are going to say or, or do. We're afraid of what it maybe is going to cost us. And it's just easier and it's just better to stay where we are because, man, life is good. Life is good. In fact, can I say a word to, to parents and to families? Um, you know, it's good to protect your kids. We need to protect our kids. But if we try to insulate them from every bad influence and environment, we're actually not doing them a favor. In fact, our job isn't to insulate them from the real world. Our job is to prepare them for the real world. And often... To me, it seems like we are actually motivated by fear of what may happen to our kids instead of preparing them and equipping them and praying for them and helping them learn how to engage and understand and live in a world and actually take a stand and make a difference for Jesus. Because friends, if if our outlook on life is to just try and hunker down and hide what we're finding and eat and enjoy what we have discovered, just kind of going from tent to tent, we've misunderstood something. In fact, what did these four guys finally say to each other? This is not right. This is a day of good news. And good news is meant to be shared. Good news is meant to be shared, friends. It's never just about me. It's never just about my family. It's never just about my life. It's never just about my church. So here's the question. What would it look like in your life if you really embrace this truth that with great news comes great responsibility? What does it look like for you to go and tell? For you. Can, can you think about that, that for a few minutes this morning as, as, as we bring this series to a close? You know, frankly, as I got thinking about this, the good thing is, is that I really don't think it's that hard. It just takes some intentionality. It, it, it takes some time. But you know what? It's actually not that hard. In fact, some of you are already doing an amazing job. You get this. You're living it. 
Because it's not like to do this, to go and tell, we have to sell everything we have and move halfway around the world to some unreached people group and, and learn a new language and learn a new culture. I mean, that's a great thing to do if, if, if God's calling you to do it. But, but you don't have to do that to go tell. In fact, you don't have to quit your job and go to Summit Pacific College and get a, a four-year Bachelor of Theology degree. You know, it, it, now, if that's what God calls you to do, that's a great thing. But the truth is that it's easier than that. It's as easy as taking the time to have a conversation with your neighbor across the back fence about whatever. You know, just getting to know them. Being a neighbor. You know, it's actually as easy as, as taking that, that hobby, that thing that you love to do, and finding a way to do it with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You know, what do you love to do? Just start doing it with somebody else. Do, do, it, do it with a friend. Make a friend. Or, or join a community organization that's doing some good stuff in some part of our city. You know, that, that's making a difference and, and helping. You know, I get people that, that, that come to me once in a while and say, Pastor, Pastor, I've got a great idea for our church. Our church, we should do this in our community. And you know, it's a great idea. But you know, I'm thinking, well, there's always like, you know, three other organizations in our city that are, are doing something like that. Instead of us starting our own thing and doing it, just our, like, why don't we go help out the organizations that are already doing that? You know, in fact, that's what we're doing with something like, like our loaves and fishes. Why can't we get involved in some of those other groups? In fact, can, can, can I just say this? I, I need to just clarify one thing. It's actually okay for you to have a friend that's not a Christian. I, I know I'm skating on thin ice here, but you know what, just, just be, be, before you have, Make me quit my job and, and move away. You know, just, just, just think about this. It's actually okay for you to have a friend that's not a Christian. And it's actually, and I'm, I'm really going out on a limb here, but it's actually probably okay if you're a follower of Jesus to be involved in another group or organization that isn't part of our church. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm way out on a limb here. But, but maybe we could get involved in our community and actually be the people that God's called us to be out among friends that we haven't met yet. Just, just a thought. You know, sometimes it's as simple as choosing that playground at that certain time because that's where the family down the street tends to go about that same time and you know, we're just going to show up and our kids are going to play together and we're going to talk. Or I'm going to get involved in that, that mom's group or that exercise class. Or I'm going to join that sports team. Or I'm going to invite a student to, to live in, in our home, you know, to do the homestay thing. And, and I know so many of you, are, you're already doing stuff like this. And I just need to tell you this morning, you know, that's, okay. that's what we're supposed to do. And when we're there, be who you are. Be a follower of Jesus and listen to the Holy Spirit. He's your fishing buddy. 
and look for those, those, those opportunities. So, so that neighbor that you've gotten to know, you know, the, the time is gonna be right where you can invite them over for that barbecue. You can kind of, you know, and maybe invite them over for that Christmas party. And you're gonna invite some of your church friends as well. And you're just gonna kind of make that connection. Or maybe you're gonna invite some people to the singing Christmas tree. And you're gonna say, hey, after the tree, come on over and we're gonna have some hot chocolate at our, our house. And we're just gonna have kind of a, a little party. Come on, uh, be with us and, and let's do that together. Or maybe you're gonna get that opportunity to say, hey, have you ever heard about Alpha? Alpha is this, this awesome thing our church is going to do after Christmas. And, and would you come with me to Alpha? And we can begin to get involved and get connected and, and just have those opportunities to, to, spray, to, to spray the news, to, to, to share the news. You know, and if you're really bold, uh, you can invite them to church. You can say, you know, our crazy pastor is starting this series. He's calling blah, blah, blah. I have no idea what that's about, and his jokes are really bad, but you know, come on out, let's, let's, let's check it out together. And you know what, one thing that all of us need to do, we need to put our friend's name on a sticky note and put it on our mirror. And every time we're brushing our teeth in the bathroom, just begin to pray and pray and pray that the Holy Spirit starts working in their lives and that we'd be open and sensitive to those nudges that the Holy Spirit, our fishing buddy has and that when we get those opportunities that we would just have great boldness to speak the word. Because friends, with great news comes great responsibility. What does it look like for you to go and tell? Let's pray. Lord, as we bring this series to a close, I just pray that you would help us to understand one small shift that we can make in our lives that would change our trajectory, that would allow us to intersect another person that you love with the good news that you have come and that there's life in your name. May we go and tell because this is a day of good news. Amen.